A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I need to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. One down to Wanfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawnee man? Oh, my dad and Ken Early here with your Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi, Ken. Hi, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm very good, actually, after last night. I hope you don't mind if we dedicate quite a lot of today's show to talking about one man. I'm sure you enjoyed his performance as much as we did. I find I actually find when I watch Leo Messi banging a hat-trick against some lowly Spanish team in a six-goal route, I enjoy it, sure, but in the way you might enjoy a trip to an art gallery. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An art gallery. Did you you chose an art gallery as kind of a mediocre type of entertainment? But a type of entertainment that you feel duty bound to every once in a while. It usually in a foreign the, city, head along and see. Yeah, yeah it's it, yeah. yeah well, that, we don't want to knock the, the no know, love in Dublin. Owen, we don't want to we don't want to <laughs> knock Dublin. However, it is true that most of the world's greatest artwork is in museums uh, in other cities. However, when he when Leo Messi is ripping apart the. Premier League champions, one of the best performances of his career. It stirs unbelievable emotion. It, it, it brings out that uh, childlike football fan in all of us, not least Pep Guardiola, who seemed blown away by the performance while he was at the New yeah. Camp last night. That oh, was brilliant. I mean, Pep Guardiola. And I mean, Pep Guardiola was uh, was there, was not in the director's box, you know what I mean? And I was like, I mean, he was there with his, with his dad and his assistant. Um, he snuck in he snuck in maybe a couple of minutes after the start of the game and the camera picked him picked him out sitting down and immediately reacting to a miss by might have been Neymar one of the Barcelona players hit the post quite early on I'm going to go for Neymar in this case and straight away immediately he's reacting like oh no I can't believe we didn't score so straight away you're like this is going to be great they're going to stick with Guardiola here for the rest of the game because he clearly still supports Barca yeah Uh, well he he, he wasn't making much of an effort to to disguise that I suppose he's also looking to to see if there's anything uh, what his thoughts are on the um, the kind of new look Barcelona team Bayern to win this competition will probably have to beat them at some point Mm. Um, so he will have to come up with a way of um, stopping the monster that he created <laughs> or that he helped to create, uh, which is uh, not going to be easy. We're talking messy with Sid Lowe and Richie Sadler. He's going to pop into studio right after Ken Erdy's Report on Sport. You mentioned the art gallery as a, as a place which, you didn't say it, but from from the kind of context and from, from the implication, I'm guessing it wouldn't be on the, it wouldn't be right at the very top of Say you go to a to a foreign city, it wouldn't necessarily be the very first place that you would say, "Got to get down to the." Well, it depends on the foreign city, you know. You you, you go to Madrid, you feel oh, should, should probably from, should. There's a couple of big oh, ones here. I probably should. Yeah, yeah, and there's a few. There's a few good ones, you know. I mean, I went to Vienna recently. I went to the um, what's it called, the Kunsthistorisches Museum, uh, which has got a. Of course, that's what it's called. That is what it's called. Yeah. No. Okay. Art history museum. That's what that's what Kunsthistorisches Museum is. Art history museum in in German. So uh, they've got, for instance, a, a classic collection of little uh, of Peter Bruegel paintings. Um, I mean, uh, you know, paintings on the lines of remember that Chelsea picture of all the ten Chelsea players surrounding the referee with their <laughs> different expressions, that kind of thing going on in these paintings. But what about a trip to the opera, Owen? How would you feel about that? On a city break. Say you're going to one of those cities where they have an opera, you know, Milan or Vienna or... Yeah, well, I did. I, w- I wouldn't mind. I was in Verona last year. Yeah? On holidays. And they have one of the most famous outdoor operas in the world. Oh, yeah? Thought, this sounds great. But uh, unfortunately, it was only starting a week or so after. after that. So I went to the opera house. Yeah. But it, it wasn't an opera that was on. It was more just 
classical music. So you got to leave after just a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, When's well, the interval here? So would you say you're an opera? opera? Uh, I wouldn't be an opera buff or an opera fan as such. No. Well, how about how about this? Alan? Have a listen to this. Tell me, tell me about this. So what do you think? Powerful. <laughs> it sounds like an opera. I, you, re- you recognize it? No. No, of course not. Nobody does. Nobody does. What is it? It's, uh, it's uh, uh, one of the great, uh, greatest works of Antonio Salieri. Uh, the only reason anyone would recognize that. In fact, the only reason that we've used it is that it's used in a movie called uh, about uh, Salieri's supposed rival, I think there was a lot of fiction imposed on this by the uh, by the writer uh, Peter Schaffer. It didn't really happen, uh, but essentially Salieri is the court composer. Uh, he's he's doing quite well in Vienna. He's pretty much at the top of the world actually, and then suddenly along comes uh, a little guy who it turns out is so much better than him that he just cannot really deal with it at all. Um, he discovers that having devoted his life to music, having it, it's his life's passion. In fact, he sucks at it. And really, it's, it's all been a big joke played on him. Why, why give me love for this thing, which it turns out I just can't really do. I mean, I, I used to think I was able to do it, but now I know that, in fact, I'm no good at this. Mm. Uh, and it kind of it goes from there. I mean... Uh, I I got this. I was reminded of this very strongly watching Manchester City. Last Mozart, night. of course. Mozart was the young man. Who Mozart came was the little, yeah. the little, uh, the obscene child, <laughs> uh, who, as he as he refers to him. Um, I was reminded of this looking at Manchester City players last night. These are good players, you know, some of the best players in the world, and they were just being made to look so bad. It was so embarrassing. But it's 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 hard to know what to do. I mean, sometimes the world confronts you with this fact. You're not you're not as good as you think you are. Actually, you're so far short of of being the best. This is the best, and you're not it. Now, there's a couple of ways that you can respond to that. Owen, you can you can become uh, angry. You can become sad. You can become bitter. You know, uh, Salieri at one point uh, lays a crucifix down on the coal fire in his quarters. Thank you. Or he grazie, signore. He says to God. Uh, with bitter sarcasm. Thank you. Uh, but, uh, you know, Samir Nasri sort of had reacted <laughs> along those lines. Or, Owen, you can react to it with grace. You can say, do you know what? <laughs> do you know what? I'm lucky just to be here. <laughs> I'm lucky just to have a ringside seat as greatness plays out in front of me. No, I'm not the best. I'm a long way off that. Uh, I'm pretty much a mediocrity like, like most of the other people in the world. At the same time, though, that was bloody special. And... Oh, and who do you think I'm talking about here? Whose reaction was that to last night? Joe Hart? Joe Hart. Joe Hart, Owen, was that he showed the kind of good grace that's the only real response to that. You have to say, well, let me give thanks that this is in the world. You know, there's no point in me getting angry and bitter about not being as good as that. I'm just going to stand here applauding with all these Barcelona fans. (laughs) This is amazing. And, of course, Joe Hart did manage to uh, make a number of saves, some of them maybe by the grace of God, Simon suggested that, you know, given that there was, there was nothing, it didn't really matter if he let in another goal, or if it, it, it almost didn't matter if he let in a goal, so he was kind of really gambling. There was no pressure on Hart, essentially, in the way that you always hear there's no pressure on the goalkeeper in a penalty shootout, when in fact there really probably is. Massive pressure. Yeah, in a case like last night, you're just in the zone, you're going out anyway, just fling yourself at every just ball. Just get out there and go for it, just remember Commit to every save. Remember to listen to the little goalkeeping boy inside you. I'm sure Joe Hart's got a little goalkeeping boy in there, in his heart. You know, like Robin Van Persie's inner inner child. Um, Just get out there, fling yourself at the ball, and who knows? You know, today might be your, it might be your night. And uh, and it was. Joe Hart will always remember Champions League 2015. Uh, Lionel Messi acknowledging him almost by name. Uh, He saved everything. (laughs) <laughs> Their keeper played a great game. How many how many footballers would do you think Leo Messi knows by name in the world? Well, he just about knows who Javier Mascarano is, yeah. his international and club teammate. Yeah, uh, he. I mean, he he plays a good bit of FIFA, doesn't he? But he probably only plays with Barcelona. So and against Real, 
So he'll know all the players on both know, those teams. He, he'll always be against Real or Bayern, so I guess he knows those players. I mean, would you get even picked against Man City that much? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, and you wouldn't notice the name of the Man City goalkeeper, necessarily. I mean, he might remember Joe Hart uh, visually, you know, the big, uh, big tall, smi- man who kept looking at him and smiling. Uh, smiling shyly, <laughs> but look, I, I think it's a, it was a great night for for Joe Hart. It was a, it was a you know he he said I'm a proud man. Uh, he said the day I come off the field and I don't feel proud of what I've done is the day I started to question myself. So he felt proud, rightly so. Manchester City stuffed out of sight, maybe not feeling that proud generally. But is there any shame in losing to a team uh, with a player like that? Not really. Not really, to, no, to, to be honest. Shame, you know, that it? team is going to beat most teams that it comes up against. I mean, I think what everyone is really is, is hoping for this year. I mean, we've, we're, we've got a Barcelona-Real Madrid game on, on Sunday, which at the moment it looks as though Barcelona are massive favourites for. Mm. Um, given how badly Madrid have been playing in the last couple of games, I you can't really see any outcome there other than the Barcelona. You, know, you, know, you never know. But uh, what everyone really wants to see, I think, is a Bayern Munich-Barcelona game. And to see how the kind of organisation um, that Bayern Munich have, and I, I don't mean to say Bayern Munich, are, I don't have talent, they've got unbelievable talent, but against you know Suarez, Neymar and Messi, to see how Barcelona, Bayern, who are undoubtedly a better team, comes up, whether they can overcome what are indisputably superior, just superior pure talents. Yeah. Um, that's going to be the game of the season if it happens, which I really hope it does. And remember the last time when they played each other, it was 7-0 to Bayern over two legs. I'm not sure it's going to go the same way the you next were time. Watching, this is where Thierry Henry should really earn his, his mucho corn that he gets from Sky. <laughs> yes. did, he do, did he do it last night? Thierry Henry's Sky deal is a bit like that. You know, if we're looking at it in corn terms, it's kind of like that chessboard thing. You know, one, uh, one grain of corn on the first uh, square, two on the next, four on the next, and... Whatever is on square 64 is what Sky are paying Thierry Henry to tell, um, to tell the world, I'm sad for him. Uh, Lionel Messi, that is. I'm sad for him and upset because people doubt him sometimes. They doubt him. How can you doubt a guy like that? How can you doubt that guy? He says uh, he put himself on a level where it's impossible for me to hear people doubting this man. What he has done, we should all enjoy the guy like we did tonight. It's a pleasure. He has an ego. Of course he has an ego. Do you think you'd do that without having an ego? It's not a bad thing. Having an ego is not a bad thing. Knowing that you're good, you need that. Let's be honest. You need that. He just plays. If you ask him to play with you now just outside the dressing room, he'll just want to have fun, perform, and be the best. So Thierry Henry, I, I always get the feeling there's so much more that Thierry Henry could, could be telling us. Like, <laughs> I mean, when he went to Barcelona, he, were, he went as, uh, as a guy who'd been the best player in the Premier League for f- four or five years. Man, Ronaldo had maybe surpassed him because... Henri was a bit older and his fitness wasn't quite what it was. But, you know, as a, a great player, yep. a star of world football, and he goes to Barcelona and he's shunted out on the wing. I mean, he was talking about it recently with Guardiola saying, stay on the line or you come and watch the game with me. Um, Messi having an ego. Absolutely. You know I mean? Who would Messi, who's his, whose ability does Messi honestly respect? I mean, I'm sure he has, he has respect, he's, you know, in the politeness. But who does he honestly look at and go, yeah, he's a good player. Well, Jabi when Jabi was yeah doing the business, Sergio, Iniesta, Sergio Busquets apparently. I want Sergio on my team. This is what he's saying in, in training. I want Sergio on my team. I would say yeah, most of the most of his Spanish teammates, most of his long term Barcelona teammates. But how difficult would it be to actually earn his respect? I'm not talking about his his respect as in an absence of disrespect, as in a, you know a civilized treatment of one man to another. I'm talking about actual. Wow, you're actually pretty good. Yeah, I don't know if any. I don't think. I don't. I would be surprised if anyone's come into the club. Bar maybe Henrik Larsson is always the one who's <laughs> held up as one who came in and maybe wowed him. It was a much younger Leo Messi back then. Of I think. I think every player has struggled with it. I mean, you can see Suarez. I think struggling with it. You know, like this pressure of oh my god. You know, I've got to try and match up to this. You know, I've got to try and. I, I don't want him to think I'm. I'm no good. I think Henri definitely. I'd love to know how many ornaments Thierry Henry smashed in frustration after <laughs> Barcelona training. You know what I mean? Terry Henry, in Rio Ferdinand's book, there's a story, which I think we've probably mentioned before, but it's worth mentioning again. The Ferdinand has a section in his book where he's talking about, you know, he, he played with Cristiano Ronaldo and thinks he's amazing and says, Messi's better. You know, just, uh, and he, and he ta- says, he, uh, I'm talking to uh, Thierry Henry one day, and, he's, and Henry says, look, uh, there's a time in training, Messi uh, 
gets kicked, doesn't get a free kick, gets angry, gets the ball, runs past everyone and scores in anger. This I've seen him do this more than once. Run past everybody in the training. Has Ronaldo ever done that? Have you ever seen Ronaldo do that? And Rio's like, no, no, never seen that. I've <laughs> never seen anybody do that. So this is the kind of thing that, you know... He takes out his anger by belittling people. That's the level of skill you're talking about. He does have... He, he certainly has an ego. I mean, to see him... To, Henri is absolutely right about that. I mean, people say, oh, he's so humble. He's not <laughs> humble in the slightest. He just sort of almost... It's almost like he doesn't kind of quite know enough to know that somebody should should also swagger around and, you know... Um, acts as though he's the king. He just kind of knows he is. He's been at the top for so long, though, at this stage, that it would be... It would be impossible not to have some sort of an ego, something there. And I, to be honest, I don't think... We can only judge from what we see in the pitch uh, and the stories you hear emanating from the background. I, I don't think he's exactly a monster. I mean, there's sure, he's quite controlling and quite dominant within the club, but so is Cristiano Ronaldo... So was Roy Keane mm. at Manchester United. There are key figures that are like that. Uh, I think given the, the talent that he has and how brilliant he's executed that talent over about a decade now, I think he's reasonably, um, his, his ego is reasonably in check. Yeah, well, he, he doesn't appear to be, uh, he's, he's, he doesn't seem to have any interest in the kind of conventional uh, trappings of, oh, you know, I'm, he doesn't, you know, does he actually he probably has done underwear ads. No, he's done plenty of ads. Plenty of ads he's, yeah, plenty, he's, he's got plenty of interest in money. That's 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 <laughs> certainly true. But you know, it's it's not as though he's he doesn't sort of preen. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just it just doesn't really occur to him to do that. He's just not really that type of person. I don't think he's not doing it because oh, you know, I don't want to do that. That's not the way I, I want to be. It's just he's just not that type. And um, so maybe it makes him look humble. But when you see a guy go out there and dominate a game like that with such. Uh, Ease, you know, it's a kind of casual ease. Now, of course, you can't get the ball off me. You know, it's. I mean, it's incredible. He, he demoralized Manchester City to such an extent uh, they'd never come up against anybody who did that to them before. We're talking loads more messy with with both our guests coming up, Richie and Sidlow. So let's get on to Arsenal, who went out gamely during the week, and now they want to rewrite the rule book. Yeah, the bloody rule book. If it, if it hadn't been for. Um, the away goals rule, Arsenal might have been knocked down penalties instead by Monaco, uh, but they've uh, Arsene Wenger wants the away goals rule to be changed. Um, obviously, that was the that was the problem. Arsenal needed to score three times because of having conceded three at home. Uh, he said two teams have gone out in away goals, and I think this should be questioned. The other team, he couldn't bring himself to say their name, but it was Chelsea, um, which I think should be questioned because it's a rule that's outdated now and it has to be changed. I've fought for it for a long time. In a direct knockout, it's important. You're very efficient and a bit lucky as well. None of the teams, apart from Barcelona, look to be superior in Europe today. Two other teams, Chelsea and Arsenal, could have gone through. This rule has been created in the 60s to encourage teams to attack away from home. Since then, football has changed. The weight of the away goal is too big today. Um, I'm not sure about that, actually, because, uh, you know... What's the, it's the same for both sides. Mm. It's not an advantage that one side enjoys more than the other side. I mean, maybe Arsene Wenger needs to get his team scoring more away goals. He wouldn't be complaining. I, I can't, if he's comp- I've never heard a manager complain about this. If Arsenal had gone through on away goals, I don't see them... It's a, it is a quirky little rule, all right. But I don't see it being... Uh, Wenger says the game has moved on. But of course it has. It's moved on in lots of different facets. But I don't see how it's moved on in any direct or moved in any direction that leads to the away goals rule being a, a, a less effective rule now than it was thirty years ago, forty years ago. Well, I think that uh, it's it is the case that home advantage has become less pronounced over in recent years. And there's been a few things we've we've talked about them before in the past, though. I think, but there've been a few explanations for it. I mean, one of them being the kind of obvious things like the the more the, the fact that conditions are now generally a bit more uniform, certainly at the top level, you know, a pitch, you know, the Emirates pitch is quite mm-hmm. similar to the one in, at, at, you know, Camp Now or whatever. It's not as though there are these kind of variations. The travel is so much e- more easy. The accommodation and food and all that kind of stuff is much more standardized or like portable. You know, so so all the, so the, the fact of travel itself isn't such a big deal. There's also the fact that... Um, that away teams used to be able to go away and nobody would know what happened. <laughs> they get back and go, well, we played well, but we lost you know, 5-0, but they were amazing. Um, whereas now they're being watched 
everywhere. It's like there's no there's no sort of away. There's no sort of slackening of the sense that you're under scrutiny or like this game counts just as much just because you're away from home, which used to be the case. You know, I mean, only your away supporters, a handful of them, would actually witness your, you know, Yaya Toure. Okay, yeah. So there are a couple of differences, but the inclination to accept a nil-nil draw away from home, it's still there. I would think it's it's still seen as we've gone, we've done a professional job. And even with the away goals rule, you often hear that, oh, good results. And I always, I'm a bit concerned when a team wins nil-nil away from home, aims for a nil-nil away from home, because mm. you're, you're always susceptible then to the away goal when you return. So that's still there, I think, if you got, ri- got rid of the away goal. I mean, it is in there. For, it's there to encourage the away team to attack. And mm. I, I would imagine they might do so less, well, they would do so less if, the, if it was done away with. They they probably would, but like you know, I mean, you you, you, you agree with Arsenal on this, do you? you think I don't. I don't know. I mean, it does seem, you know, the, I mean, the, you know, Raphael Anderson is something the boy. Look, if you get rid of the away goals rule, then suddenly what do you have? You have every game, every every tie that's currently decided on away goals will be decided on penalties. Well, that's not actually that that's not actually true because um, there would still be extra time at the end of the ninety minutes of the second leg, whereas at the moment away goals will will finish the game there so you wouldn't necessarily see those games all being decided on uh, penalties but is penalties a better way to settle a a big match I think actually to be honest it is I think it is better because uh, at least both sides again it's it's a test of both sides the same thing for both of them you could argue like Leverkusen I think the other night I mean Leverkusen took really terrible penalties against Atletico Madrid Um, and their coach Roger Smith said afterwards well it is a lot more difficult when you're at the, when you're at the away ground. You know what I mean? It's just, although I mean, he's just a defeated manager, casting about for anything to say. You know, I still, I, I do think penalties actually would be better. The than only problem to be not have enough penalty shootouts in football. There, in the major tournaments, in domestic cups, you, there are so many matches that you're watching that are nil nil, and the seventy minutes gone, and you're already looking at it going. Yeah, they're, they're going, they're going penalties. to penalties here. It's going to be another twenty minutes of play. Then another half an hour, at least with the with the not the golden goal, with the away goal. There's a little bit of a a variant there. There's a, or a variable that exists that I think I'd rather have in. I, I do enjoy penalty shootouts to an extent, but it does get a little bit repetitive. On the subject of penalties, hmm. Chelsea. Uh, we know Jose Mourinho feels his team are getting hard done by in that score this season, but the club have <sighs> stuck up for him today. Oh, Jose Mourinho! Just this is this is this is terrible. So, obviously, Jose Mourinho hasn't come out with a sheet of paper because he's seen that not go very well for Rafael Benitez and Ivan Hal. Instead, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea Football Club, published an article on their website entitled Penalty Puzzle. <laughs> After our draw with Southampton on Sunday, Jose Mourinho was asked by the media if his team would get another penalty in the league before the end of the season. That was after Branislav Ivanovic was denied a clear spot kick when his leg was scraped from behind as he charged into the box. Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in our 28 28- uh, he says that uh, we were we were of course the recipient of a spot kick in our last European encounter when PSG's Thiago Silva obviously handled in the area. But Champions League referees have spotted penalties throughout, with four also given our way in the group stage. It is in our twenty eight Premier League games this season where we have been awarded just two penalties. Both were for infringements on the league's most fouled player. Eden Hazard, and both were in home London derbies against Arsenal and QPR. The most recent was four and a half months ago. Historically, this figure seems abnormally low. So they make the point that in our double winning campaign in 2010, we were the country's outstanding attack team. We were awarded 12 league penalties. And the following year, when we finished second, we were given eight spot kicks. Even in our sixth place 2012 campaign, our lowest league finish under the current ownership, Champions League winning. Yeah. The season, of course. Have you noticed why Chelsea only seem to win the Champions League when Jose Mourinho isn't the manager? No, that, that's not the next sentence. The Blues were the recipient of five penalties plus seven more in other competitions. There were 11 league penalties the following year. So the point is, we've only got two. Okay. I mean, f- this is just the fact that they're doing this is just be, it's, mm. puts them beneath contempt, in my opinion. I mean, this is the fact is, these kinds of numbers fluctuate from year to year. Now, there have been a couple of instances where, you know, Mourinho's always going on about this one on Diego Costa. Diego Costa probably should have got a penalty all the time. These mistakes happen. Okay, but I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the sort of history of, of penalties, I mean, the, what they really should be saying is that the 11 penalties they got, um, what season, or the, the 12 penalties they got in the 2010 season was an abnormally high number. You know, it's a huge number. To get Liverpool got a similar number last season, but if you look down through the hi- the history of um, uh, 
of you know penalty awards in the Premier League, the kind of median number is always uh, three, four, or five. Okay, if you look down through the teams from one to twenty, mm. where's the where's the middle team? Well, their argument is they're doing a lot more attacking than <laughs> yeah. No, they're not doing a lot more attacking. They maybe they maybe they were maybe if you want you to get penalties, get your players, get your little dribbly players to get in the box. You know that that might be that might be one way of doing it. It's not that easy to get penalties when your players are all camped in their own half. You know that might be that might be an approach of doing. But just the fact that they're actually kicking up a, a, a fuss about this abnormally low penalty count. That's not the problem. With that's not. I mean, they're still top of the league, mm. but they're not out of the they're not out of the Champions League because of an abnormally low penalty count. You know, they got pen, they got a penalty. They scored a penalty against Paris Saint Germain and still got knocked out. There's other problems there. It's just it really does begin to test your patience a little bit when you see this kind of nonsense. That'll do it for Kennerly's report on sport. You can see the level of expectancy. Coach, this is the game you wanted a victory, boy. It didn't happen. What happened? Oh, Pepe's such an idiot. A game that they've been looking forward to for a long time. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. He <laughs> was fucking dreadful. Sorry, yeah? we're not here. Oh, we're not, are we? We are. Oh. Well, I apologise for that, but obviously, I found that was it. It didn't exactly do it. All right. Richie has arrived. How are you? How are you, Owen? Kent. Richie, how are you? Marvellous. Last time we had you in, we had a rather disgusting conversation about which was worse, receiving a punch or uh, receiving a punch in the face or being spat on as a pro footballer. I'm not going to revisit that ground, don't worry. I think our listeners had had, had, had enough of it by the time we finished talking. But <laughs> last night we found something even more demeaning for a professional, and that's being nutmegged. What is it about being nutmegged that seems to be uh, that seems to really bring out the anger in players? It, it, I remember being in many training sessions that if you nutmeg someone, you just would expect like a lunge to tackle the next time that player was near you. Yeah, it's it's, it's considered quite an affront. Um, in, in in situations like that, last night watching Messi was 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 a joy. Like I, I don't remember being as excited watching an individual performance as 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 I was watching him last night. But the nutmegs were were were, were sensational. Yeah, Simon uh, grew up playing rugby. Only really started playing football in his late twenties, and he'd be playing five aside and would get nutmegged. And everyone's pointing, laughing at him, and he, he's he's thinking, what, what's what's the big deal here? It's just I tried to tackle the guy, got past. He's me. better than me. What's the big deal? <laughs> to be honest, I'm a little relieved. I thought the question you were leading to there was, would you prefer to be nutmegged, spat, no, or punched? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't want to go too far. But Man City's players, well, actually, I was about to say they handled it with with relative grace. Uh, Samir Nasri was the one who got particularly angry. Ken, I don't, I don't think he was even one of the victims of the nutmegs. Nasri is pathetic. I mean, he's he's done this a couple of times. He shouldn't be on the field anymore. I mean, Manchester City should wash their hands of that guy. You know. As France did, he's just a waste of, waste of everyone's time. You know, he uh, he. I don't know what. I don't know how good he thinks he is. I'd say it's pretty good. And then when it when there's an awful collision between his self image and reality, as happened last night, when Lionel Messi is is going around playing the game at his own speed, none of the city players can get near him. All of them are thinking, you know what, despite having devoted our entire lives to playing this game and despite having built a pretty decent career, won some championships and made a lot of money, we're actually quite ordinary. Um, That's easier for some people to accept than others. And Nasri is one of the people who can't accept it, even though it's true. Probably should have been sent off. I think he should definitely have been sent off. I mean, he's, you know, it's uh, he's deliberately kicking uh, an opponent pretty violently for no reason other than just pure spite and frustration. Get off the field. The performance, the Man City's performance, well, one man who actually looked reasonably happy with himself was Joe Hart. Richie, I don't know if you were struck by the same thing we were struck by, which was... I assume I was. Uh, uh, Joe Hart, who was absolutely brilliant in goals, an unbelievable performance. But he, he was, towards the end of the game, he seemed to be putting forward, even after the game, putting forward, almost trying not to break into a smile about how well he'd played, uh, despite the fact that his team had gone crashing out of the Champions League. Yeah, it's it's that thing. Do you know when you hear it, and you often hear it with strikers, that it's not about whether I score or not, it's about whether the team wins. And it's that conversation about whether individual achievements 
where does it rank alongside the team's result? Last night, Joe Hart did seem to enjoy the fact that his individual performance he was happy with and and the result seemed to be a secondary issue um it it's the performance that he'll be that'll be spoken about all the time in relation to him it's his career highlight probably am i right in saying that i can't think of a game yeah, leo messi said he was phenomenal when if leo messi even though messi i don't know if he knew his name leo afterwards. messi gave him a hug Owen. yeah yeah. He did say the goal. If that's not a career moment. highlight for Joe Hart, I can't <laughs> I, imagine. I can't what remember it is. a performance. Can you think of a game that Joe Hart was in where which ranked alongside last night's saves? Now they, a lot of them, a lot the of them went straight at him. That time that was a big. I mean, I remember Joe Hart running around. Yeah, he had an amazing game. It could have been against Bayern, Bayern a few years back. One of the games where City were getting the runaround as they tend to always get against the good teams. In was Europe. it Dortmund? I think, I think it was Dortmund, Dortmund when Dortmund had guts in and, and they, they he kind conceded. Of, he conceded a not great goal in the night and made about seven or eight really good saves that time. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, he. He hasn't. I can't remember one where they where he's he's won them a really big game, but I do remember <laughs> that's another one where he's saved them from getting seven beaten seven. Yeah. Probably when you're a goalkeeper in particular, though, you can he can definitively say, "Look, that this is my body of work here." They operate in their own patch. They operate in their own. It's almost a game within a game. Whereas other players. In your own head, maybe you can be, oh, yeah, I did okay out there. I feel I did okay. As a keeper, you know, I think, whether you've done well or not. They seem to know. There, there is another side to this. Of the saves he made, what was the total in the end? Was it 10? 10 saves. Right. I don't want to be harsh on him here. Were any absolutely outstanding? Can you remember how many of them were outstanding? Or are we crediting for the, the, the total of them? Because some of them, the, the messy save, for example... When Messi was only was he only six or eight? When he turned or, when he turned on he, his right foot. And, yeah, yeah. Like if you were to pause it before Messi took the shot and say, "Well, what's the worst place Messi can put this? What's the one place that he's going to miss if he hits it?" And it would be straight at Joe Hart's chest, which is what he did. Mm. So there was an element of poor finishing from Barcelona a lot. I would say on that one that I think Messi was surprised. I don't think Messi was factoring Joe Hart into that finish because Hart had had to scramble to his near post when Neymar had gone mm. around the outside of, I think it was company. Neymar then managed to get it back to Messi who took one quick touch. Mm. I, I would imagine in Messi's head, mm. the keeper was out of the equation there and he mm. just had to get it by a defender who was on the line mm. and suddenly Hart materialised out of nowhere. So there was, while the height was perfect for him, there was the speed of, mm. of recovery from Joe I'm Hart. not knocking him. It was a very good performance. I think someone, it was during the Liverpool, the Man United-Liverpool match uh, in December when De Gea played amazingly and made loads of saves and someone had tweeted during the match, I reckon the secret to beating De Gea is shooting either side of him. <laughs> Maybe if somebody manages to put the ball to one side. There's a bit about that. With, remember Tim Howard in the World Cup for yeah. the US? Was it 17 saves or something? Against Belgium. Against Belgium. Uh, and, you know, if you took one by one, yeah. they were even more basic than Joe Hart. Yeah. But it, it does look a bit heroic when you keep doing it. If you, yeah, it did. If you actually break it, because you're obviously the last line of defence, yeah. you become this, you're this brick wall, you're unbeatable. And you also, in Joe Hart's case, there were two occasions where it was a one-on-one with Leo Messi. So yeah. while it mightn't have looked amazing, he, he either stood up to both of them. He, he In one case, he committed, but he, he committed and made the tackle. Without giving away a penalty. Without giving away course. a penalty. So if you're saving one-on-one, by any means against Leo Messi I think almost by definition it's a yeah, very you, good you, you come out on top in a duel against the greatest has ever been yeah I mean just on the, the whole thing of nutmegs were you any good at doing them to other people it never really entered my head as as, as a thing to do hmm. um, the thing, go on you're going to it really this. strikes me looking at Messi's I mean he doesn't so often I mean was it the Champions League final I think against Man United he did four in the first half something insane like that I mean, to players like Nemanja Vidic, you know, he's just, uh, but he kind of does it almost like um, it's no big deal. You know, he just kind of, it's just a little touch. It's kind of usually with the outside of his foot and it's, it almost, <laughs> it's almost happens so quickly you can't really see it. Now, I mean, the one against Milner last night was a real, you know, that piss was, that, that that was, was a like take. a pantomime. Yeah, I thought the Fernandinho one was one he needed to execute to get by, but I yeah. felt with Milner, he drew him in <laughs> just to nutmeg him. <laughs> But it strikes me that he can't be look. He can't see the same thing as everybody else. Like it's 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 a different world that he's living in. It's like a, um, I think it's actually a, a mental hardware thing. I mean, you know, that his his brain is just capable of processing the world visually in far more detail and far more far more detail than most people can. This is like actually his gift. This is what it's all about. It's like. Uh, 
somehow when he sees a guy rushing towards him, the gap there is so obvious and it's, it's so easy for him just to think the ball through. Most people are not even going to... They just see a blur of legs when he's going, yeah, right about now. That's going to go straight through that gap. It's, I, think, I think it's actually... It's, it's like a freakish kind of... They should... What I'm saying is... They need to do a lot of MRI scans and then, you know, dissect his brain, uh, you know, when he when he sadly passes on. It's in English football, a nutmeg is is considered a piss take thing. Like in in it, certainly in training sessions when you when you can hear players and their reaction when someone does it, there's a big roar. And you know, it's going to be brought that's up. at every level. That's, that's, yeah, that sounds yeah. a lower level. And then it. and then in the canteen after training, you know, there's going to be comments about it, and it's this it's this joyous thing. I think with, with, with Messi, you're right, Ken. It's probably he probably weighs up a, a variety of scenarios he's in, and he just sees well the most. It's the obvious place to put the ball. The most efficient use of my time and energy is to put the ball in the hole, which is gaping, and then just move past the player. So, like last night, we I, I watched it with three mates in my sitting room, and like we, we were like there was gasps when he, when he did certain things, and we were straight. Oh, rewind that, rewind that, and, and we watched it a couple of times, and we we were there for a little while, and after a while, it just became like who was going to score next or the result or who'd go into the next round became like a subplot. It was yeah. the, the reason, the, the longer we were watching the game, the, the, the main event was just to watch Messi playing football. Was it the nutmegs? Was it the his passing? Because he put about three or four guys through on goals with ridiculous passes at various times. It, it was, how did you see those guys, by the way? I was looking at it going, how does he, I mean, okay, maybe he, they've trained, they've trained a lot together. He, he knows, okay, if I'm here, maybe someone's going to run to the far post. But, he actually looked, he only looked or appeared to look for Rakitic just an instant before he passed the ball. But he must have known that he was going to make that pass because he kind of had slowed down and slowed down and was waiting for everyone to sort of get drawn over towards him. And then he kind of looked, it's like he only looked over to make sure exactly where Rakitic was rather than, he just, he just knew he was there. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, it's the, the awareness is, is unbelievable. I mean, how, how he can be aware of so many things simultaneously is just beyond belief, like. He's incredible. He's and only if he'd only won a World Cup, he'd be a great player. <laughs> what were the bits you were rewinding? The nutmegs. There was there was a thing about his performance as well. He, it seemed so effortless. Did, did you ever? Did you ever? Did you look at him last night and at every time think right? He's he's got a lot in his mind there. He's busting a gut. No, he's, he's never giving his out, all. You know? Yeah, I didn't see. Look at him last night and go, God, this means the world to this player. He like. You can think of big performances in the past that they were like, this fella is giving his all. He didn't seem that, yet he was streets ahead of anyone. And and it was like, I, I often remember, like there's, there's often a big difference when, you know you hear the phrase, he plays a game like he's playing with his mates in the playground. Yeah. That it's like he's oblivious to the to the consequences of things going wrong or the fact that there's people watching or that there's any pressure. And it's like the difference between when you see players on the pitch beforehand during the warm-up. They could be booting the ball to each other. It could be up in the air. Their control is spot on every time. They'll kill it dead no matter how high it goes up. They're keeping the ball up. And it, it all looks, they, they technically look great when the game goes on and it starts. And I was guilty this many times. I've often done a warm-up and said, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm on song today. The game starts. And the whole environment changes because it matters more and your mindset changes and your execution of everything, and you see things at a different pace as well. Mm. Messi seems to be completely unaffected by all of those things. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredible. When you say you see things at a different pace, that's something that you that you can sort of you know remember happening at different times. I mean, this is like this is definitely something that really does happen. I mean, sometimes if you're if you're playing well, it actually just seems to but be it happening. slows it slows down for a player. Yeah, it's just th- things it are you seem to have more time. You know, I, so. I, when, in answering that question like that, I, I compare my really bad performances to my really good ones and, and what the difference was in my mind because it's the exact same skill I'm trying to execute every time. The, nothing changes. But it, it's just, I suppose you, you're, 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 your anxiety levels, you're just, maybe you, you know you hear all these phrases and people try to explain something like this and may, maybe you're you're overthinking the skill and you're not doing it naturally. You know you hear the phrase, an athlete in, in whatever sport will say, you know, I was in the zone. I didn't have to think. It was just everything I do just seemed naturally and I was enjoying it and I didn't think of anything and everything came off. Again, I think I've thought this many times, I've probably said it a couple of times, but if, if it worked with a psychologist in the, when I played 
and try to get to the bottom of, well, how exactly am I doing that? What, why some days do I think, no matter what pace the ball comes at me, I'm going to kill it dead and I'm going to beat the player? And a lot of days I did that. And those other days when the exact same ball will come to me and go, this isn't going to go well. The crowd are going to boo me. Your man's going to kick me and the manager's going to shout at me. Mm. And it absolutely did happen. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, God, I'd love to tease out what I'm doing or what factors are in play in those two scenarios. Because the outcome is worlds apart. Though it's the exact same skill and it's infuriating when you have a day when nothing's happening for you. Yeah, and you've touched on something else there, and that's the mental strength that Messi has. I don't know if Messi sees a sports psychologist regularly. I'm sure they have them at Barcelona, but he strikes me. <laughs> Messi strikes me a guy who doesn't think too much about what he's doing, uh, which is imagine being the sports psychologist. Where would you start? Talk, you know, <laughs> listen, Leo, what you got to do is yeah. No, no. yeah, the classic one that sports psychologists do. You, you hear this a lot with uh, Enda McNulty, who works with the Irish rugby team, and others. Is he did it with Brian O'Driscoll? It seems quite simple, but a lot of the best things are. It's literally look. You're not playing great at the moment. Go back and just go on, go on YouTube there and look at Brian O'Driscoll highlights. Look at the great things that you do. I don't know if that's... What, and just remind yourself how good you can be. I don't know if that's what you would do. Messi would take a long a long time on the internet there to I get suppose, Yeah, I suppose that would address an issue if your issue was lacking in confidence and you have to be reminded that you can do really good so things. So Messi never seems to be lacking confidence. Even, well, arguably, he, he wasn't great at the World Cup. And I know, Richie, you think it's overstated the, that the impact on his, his reputation or his legacy, uh, the fact that he didn't do brilliantly there, but he seems bulletproof confidence-wise for the moment. You assume it's other things. If, if, if Messi isn't outstanding, you assume, is it fatigue? Fitness, yeah, is it the off-the-field stuff? Is it the fact that his teammates aren't up to scratch? You, ne- you never have a conversation thinking, Messi needs to sit down with someone and be told you know, that he's better than this, that, yeah. he, that he can give a bit, that he can do a bit more. What about the Man City angle and this? We touched on uh, Samir Nasri's reaction, but uh, Pellegrini's the one who's probably going to bear the brunt. This is the speculation anyway. Is that fair, do you think? I think in a wider context, it's fair to discuss Pellegrini and, and his performance in the job this season and whether he should stay. In the specific issue here on their exit from the Champions League in this round against Barcelona, I... Are we? Is it reasonable to hold those two questions? We've just had a conversation about whether one of the greatest players ever has given one of the greatest performances ever, mm. and then does it does it would does it stack up then to say, no, let's discuss all the failings of Man City, though there were many. Um, I I think in this over the two legs, Man City were 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 beaten by a far better team with far better players, well with certain better players. Um, but the wider issue of City. I'd be very surprised if the manager stays. Um, Even though it's this model whereby he doesn't seem to get to make too many choices bar how he sets his team out. Yeah, but they're, they're, I suppose this, this is the question then as to whether, you know, who takes on the responsibility of the recruitment within a club, who makes those decisions, and then what role does the manager or the coach have? And, and, and if you're trying to assess Pellegrini, then the on-field performances of the players, like motivation or disciplinary issues regarding, say, Nasri or even disciplinary in a different kind of sphere regarding someone like Toure mm. and, and, and his seemingly lack of effort in many games. They're, the, they're an issue for the coach to address. And even maybe the selection thing of, we were all fairly critical of why he played two up front in the home leg against Barcelona. Like that seemed to be a failing on his part. He can't, he can't point the finger to anyone upstairs and say, you know, he didn't give me the right players to do better against Barcelona. He used to take the flack for that. Maybe Pellegrini could point out that he's managing an English club and as such uh, doesn't really have a chance in the Champions Champions League because, uh, well, actually he did. He did mention the winter break. The winter break seems to be the big um, uh, current explanation as to why uh, the English clubs are not not playing well. Yeah, didn't didn't somebody in the Barcelona set up, maybe it was Luis Enrique, I, I saw this, I got to be honest, Ken, I was half asleep this morning. Um, you know, you know yeah. you're kind of checking a, a few tweets, yeah. half asleep, and I do vaguely remember reading that Luis Enrique or somebody else in Barcelona camp said said we really enjoy watching the English teams playing over the Christmas <laughs> period. <laughs> and if he if he didn't say that, he should have said that uh, because this is something that Barcelona don't. Well, want it's to do. it's part of the reason why um, the Premier League has the world's richest TV deal. It's on all the time. Uh, when all the other leagues are, are off, there's the Premier League, the hardest working league in the world, <laughs> <laughs> earning its earning its money over the Christmas period. Um, I mean, is is it a reason? I mean, I I can't help but notice that um, say uh, in the five years between 2005 and 2010, the Premier League also had a winter break then, or didn't have a winter break then, I should say, and yet 
were there was teams getting to the final almost every year, uh, winning the competition and. Generally, you could have, you you could have had a strong argument then that that it really was the strongest league. So, the, you know, the winter break didn't seem to have, have be a problem then. It's difficult. I, I I sometimes don't know where to start when you have a conversation like this to try and compare leagues because everyone has a different measurement of what's important. Um, progress in the Champions League is an obvious one, but I, I think that the, the issue on the the Christmas break and people talk about the tempo of English football or or, or the pace of it. Or, or how competitive the league is, they would only really affect the team's maybe levels of energy or fatigue, certainly when they're getting into February or March or April. But um, I, I don't know whether fatigue was the main factor in why Chelsea, Arsenal and, and City didn't go through. What, what is the main factor? Just quality of player? Would certainly look like that last night. Like we 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 had a just we just had a chat there about Barcelona Man City. We're not talking about the quality of any Man City players over the. Two Bar days. the goalkeeper. Bar the goalkeeper, and I even questioned that. <laughs> God, I didn't even I didn't even give him credit. Um, I don't know the the the. I I do have a thing about English football. I think it it's it's good to watch in that it's competitive. There's this argument, you know, the bottom teams can do well against the big teams in a way that doesn't happen in any other division. I don't think that's a reflection of quality at all. Mm. I think that just makes it a spectacle. That makes it more interesting to watch because it's less easy to predict. When it comes to winning European trophies, that's irrelevant. That shouldn't even come into it. The fact that you're top of the league in England and you're playing against a team who's fighting relegation and you're not guaranteed three points, that doesn't make you any more equipped or less equipped to go into to, to European competition. Winning European Cups is about quality players and, and game management and l- learning to cope with all the things you have to do in the latter stages. And for the last few years now, we looked at a graph there earlier, it, this isn't a blip this year. This is the last three or four years now. It could be that the Premier League don't actually care about that criterion. That they, We know that the Premier League don't care, for example, how England do. In, I mean, the people running the league don't care how the English national team does. Maybe they don't even care that much how their own clubs do in Europe. I don't think they do. You know, they care about how they do against each other and how that impacts worldwide. And it continues to do so. We'll see Liverpool against Man United this Sunday and it'll be absolutely massive. People will be forgetting about Man City. It's the the value of the TV deal and the viewing figures and the the reach of the brand. And all, all of those things seem to be the only currency that really matters within the Premier League, if you were to if you were to before an argument that Champions League progress really matters, then you would have to point to practical examples of where the Premier League facilitated teams in the Champions League by moving fixtures, mm-hmm. which you would imagine is a very easy thing to do if there's a will to do it. You just simply slap down the TV stations and say, no, there's a bigger picture here, and you wouldn't really have to do... I mean, that's an obvious point to make, but they don't do that. So... You, you're absolutely right, I think, yeah. to suggest or to, to hint that Champions League progress isn't a main priority for the Premier League. Uh, no, it really isn't. Um, I mean, it, I think the, the problem that they have, though, the, the basic problem the English clubs have is that the top players in the world don't want to play for them. Mm. And Well, Hazard. Well, Hazard. Alexis Sanchez. He's been very good for Arsenal. <laughs> Alexis Sanchez has been very good for Arsenal, but where has he just come from? He was just, he's a cast-off. Mm, he's a cast true. off like like Mesut Ozil Sergio Aguero uh, Sergio, yeah, yeah yeah Torre Sergio Aguero how bad must Sergio Aguero felt last night I mean it could have got any worse you know you've, you're completely eclipsed by Messi you're, you're standing there you're not even touching the ball then you get a penalty and you can't even score yeah and there are photos today of uh, Mascherano <laughs> pointing Sneaky the way for the goalkeeper uh, international teammate of his saying I know where he's going to put this but okay I, I'm looking here at a, at a um the Guardians, top 100 f- uh, footballers, right? Okay, so let's forget the top 100, top 50. Now, it's not as though the Guardians, top 50 footballers is is anything more than just a, you know, yeah, I'm not suggesting seriously these are the top 50. But how many of the top 50 do you think are native English speakers? Born in England or, or can speak English? Native English speakers in the top 50. Does native English speakers mean English Born is in their England. first language? English is their first language. Um, how many in the top 50? F- four. Two. Uh, one of them is Rooney, and he's, I think, 43. And the other one is Bale, who's at number eight. How many speak Spanish as a first language? 
You can guess this one, Richie. 22. Close. 19, I think. I think oh, 19. Not bad. Good guesses from both of us, actually. Because yeah. I was just I was trying to count it up there uh, while you were talking to say. Okay, and then, you know, you've got a few Portuguese speakers and a few German speakers, right? This is a kind of a cultural... Uh, this is the, the cultural influence. Why do you, the best players in the world all want to play for Barcelona and Real Madrid? Because most of them are actually from that. That's the, that's the culture that they're from. This is the place. This is the kind of place where they want to live. These are the clubs that are that loom the largest in the you know Latin consciousness. You could say, because um, there are Portuguese. There, you're talking about Brazilians, Argentinians. I mean, look at the Barcelona forward line. You know, they they want to play for Barcelona. They don't want to play for you know Man City. I mean, Aguero. I know was at Man City, but <laughs> how he must regret it. Sergio, you would have made a fortune wherever you went. Why did you? Oh, but you know. So, so this is how that ultimately they can't compete. They can't put put together a team of stars along the line of what what Barcelona has. Last word on that, Richie. What what were you saying there? Well, I, was I didn't, thinking, I didn't know how I could add. To I that. don't think that. I, I mean, the best players in the world are not from the culture that the Premier League represents. It's yeah. oh, they're always importing players. And like when when you get to the very very top level, I mean, it's a player like Luis Suarez does not want to stay in the Premier League, does not want to play for a Premier League club. Wants to, if he can, he wants to play for Barcelona Real Madrid. When you look at it, these are the teams that are dominating. It's not really a question of, well, the Spanish League is dominating, the German League is dominating. It's not. It's the super, it's Bayern, Barcelona and Real Madrid. And the English football culture, the English language football culture, you could say, because you look around the rest of the English-speaking world and there actually are that many, you know, top footballing countries I mean we're probably the second best mm. so uh, just doesn't doesn't really there, there are no kind of native there, Rooney is the example Rooney was the superstar and he you know Rooney didn't want to play for Real Madrid not really I mean his agent might occasionally threaten oh he'll go to Real Madrid he's never going to go there you know what I mean not a chance like Messi doesn't want to play for Manchester City everyone knows he's never going to go there so the lack of competitiveness, competitiveness I think has to do with a basic weakness in the in the in the whole in the football culture, it's not really to do with the clubs or the management or you know Pellegrini playing two up front. It's to do with the fact that the best players in the world are come from Spanish speaking, Portuguese speaking, German, and now increasing German countries. You see it in every international tournament. We do the same conversation after every England exit. It's the same points. It's they don't have a, a culture in which things, which is a very basic thing, things like keeping possession of a football for a long time in high pressure situations. It's not something that English kids are brought up to do. It's an entirely different emphasis in English youth football. Um, the pace of the Premier League, all of the things you, you associate with it, you don't associate it with, with patient, strategic, you know, possession-based football, which you could think of in many other examples, the ones you've just mentioned. Yeah, Richie, we'll let you go right after you tell us which would you prefer happen to you. A nutmeg. nutmeg forget about the, just a nutmeg or a punch in the face. A nutmeg, and then I'd punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Richie. Take care. See you, lads. Hairdryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a furious blast of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. I don't know that he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. I like that new tagline you came up with there, Ken. Almost inadvertent. For the Premier League, the hardest working league in the world. <laughs> yeah. Want to see well-honed athletes scurry up and down the pitch at breakneck speed time yeah. and again? Come see the Premier League, the hardest working league in the world. That's what it's all about, breakneck speed. So there isn't, you don't, there's very few players in the Premier League who are slowing the game down in the way Messi did for that goal. You know, uh, as slowing it down to break up the game, to, to break the game as opposed to just rushing, trying to rush, I must rush faster, I will rush faster and tackle harder, get there first. You don't, you don't always necessarily have to do that. Richie mentioned the warm-ups there, that a lot of players, he himself has felt really good at times in the warm-up. Uh, and then suddenly when tackles start flying in and you have pressure on you, it's a different matter entirely. But I was reminded as he was speaking of going to see a Classico a couple of years ago. And when I, I was watching, it was a league. It almost doesn't matter sometimes what competition it's in when those two teams are playing, which is a great thing. But it was a league cup game or a cup game. Uh, Copa del Rey game I should say and Messi was warming up in the corner actually since I've seen uh, some vines and some clips of this on YouTube because presumably they do it before every game but Messi seems to warm up with Dani Alves mm. the two of them just go through this I wouldn't even call it a routine it's just two lads kicking a ball to each other but it's a keepy-uppies almost they're volleying it at each other and the skill on both of them is, is absolutely amazing but what's amazing about Messi is Alves will hit this ball with sort of crazy spin 
and deliberately swerve it away from Messi. And Messi will, st- will stand there almost stationary, allow it to go out of his orbit, looks like it's way too far for him to recover the distance. Then the last minute, quick little sprint. This is presumably maybe part of his... Quick little sprint and it just lands on his toe and he volleys it back. Goes, like, on, for, goes on for a couple of minutes generally while remaining in the air, the, this, this back and forth volley. Like a frog uh, catching a fly with its tongue, which uh, happens too fast yeah. for the human eye to see. But evidently to a frog, it's like licking an ice cream. It's like a sort of... There's the ice cream, I'll just get some of that. Whereas, you know, if we're looking at... I mean, it's difficult to, to... You know, that's why the Karate Kid had the image of the guy with the, you know, Mr. Miyagi with the chopstick in the flight. It's difficult to catch those things. Yeah. Um, I'd say Messi would be, would be good at that. We have another podcast out today where we look at the Ireland team named by Scotland and we talk to US Murph about Chris Borland, a 24-year-old NFL player who's taken the decision to retire because of fears he has about concussion and the long-term effects of concussion. Uh, Sid Lowe joins us now to chat more about the, the main man this week, Leo Messi... Sid, you've seen him play quite a lot over the last number of years. The masterclass he delivered last night, is it as good or was it as good as any of them or just the most recent? No, I think it was as good as any of them. I think it was very, very striking last night. I think it was striking because of the the speed with which he played and the, the sort of sense of enthusiasm as much as anything else. I thought that was really, really telling. I think also you look at the position that he took up last night and he was basically everywhere. And but, but in particular, we saw three or four times him starting almost from a right-back position, picking the ball up not far from Danny Alves and carrying it 60, 70 yards, a much, much longer game in which he seemed to be involved in absolutely everything they did. And, and it is no exaggeration that at half-time yesterday, as you can imagine, doing... Um, doing the match, well, not actually the match sport, but the kind of the messy focus piece at half time. I'd been noting down everything that happened in the game, and it was almost every minute something had happened, and almost everything I'd written down, Messi was one of the names mentioned, or the name mentioned. I, I just thought yesterday that the, the involvement, the, the, the sense of him kind of completely controlling, not necessarily controlling the game, but him being at the heart of everything good that Barcelona did was, was really striking yesterday. Um, I mean, Messi, for the first part of his career, uh, you know, the first brilliant part of his career, uh, won, you know, four Ballon d'Ors as the kind of goal-scoring genius in a team which you could say maybe Xavi was the boss of. Xavi and and Puyol are maybe running the team. And maybe there was a a question over whether Messi could take on that role of of kind of being the the leader now that Xavi's fading out of it. And he's definitely answering that question in the affirmative. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I never really doubted that he, that he would do that in the sense that he was, you know, in terms of talent, was he able to do so? Does he understand the game well enough? Does he interpret the game well enough? And I think this is where we come back to that argument, which is a repetitive one about the most complete player in the world. And we nearly always get this kind of response that says, well, Messi might be the best player in the world, but Cristiano Ronaldo is the most complete because we get this checklist of qualities. But a checklist, I think, is an extremely incomplete list to try and decide who's the most complete player. So it'll say things like um, athleticism, power, uh, heading ability, pace, that kind of thing. And we, we very rarely when we do those kind of checklists do we talk about the ability to understand when to slow down and speed up a game, the ability to, to, to read space, basic things like passing. And I think if you look at it slightly differently, you can say, well, who would be the best, I mean, look at it kind of in terms of positions, who would be the best number four in the world, the best kind of deep-lying, distributing playmaker? It would be Messi if he played there. Who would be the best number eight in the world? It would be Messi if he played there. Who would be the best number seven? It would probably be Messi if he played there. He'd certainly be their best number ten. I think he's possibly not the best number nine. If we look at number nine as an out-and-out goal scorer, that's probably Ronaldo. But I think he has a variety to his game that, um, that means that he was always likely to be able to do this and, and that his role can evolve and I think he has the, the, the qualities and the, the intelligence and, and the vision to be, able to, to be able to do that without too many problems. You mentioned something in your piece, Sid, uh, which, I, which I think is a really important point with, with Messi. I mean, the thing that he's always going to be associated with in people's heads is just this, this unbelievable dribbling ability that he has, these runs, uh, you know, the kind of reaction speed, the balance, all of that, that kind of stuff. But you make the point that he goes from 60 to zero just as quick as from north to yeah. 60. This, this ability to sort of pause, let the game almost uh, put itself out of shape around him and then just, you know, he, he's just waiting for the, for the it's, it's incredible ability that I've had that I've never seen to the same degree in any other player. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that, that, that ability to put the brakes on is, is really significant. And of course, Messi does it in, in very many different ways as well. And I think timing is one of the things that he does so brilliantly. So that he can put the brakes on, absolutely stop, and, and effectively have people kind of slide past him like cartoon characters going off a cliff. 
but he can also do that thing where he can just slow it down without you even realising he's necessarily slowing it down and then start sprinting again. So he can do the kind of the stop-start thing. He can also do the diesel thing where he's got a kind of acceleration mid-range almost. And he's, I think in that sense, he, he he's just completely different from anything else we've seen. I don't think we've seen a player be able to manage the, the, the timing and the, the, the control of the pace of the game in, in, in quite the same way. Um, I, I thought what we saw last night from him was, was just astonishing. I also thought that last night we saw another example of the fact that while we're focused, and it's natural that we should do so, on the, the number of assists and the number of goals that Messi scored, Messi could statistically be awful and he'd still be the best player on the pitch. Yeah, it's, it's a good way, as good a way as any of describing it, Sid. And this should have been, and indeed was, a good night for the manager, obviously, obviously Luis Enrique. But funny enough, most of the crowd shots, certainly the most interesting ones on, t- on the TV coverage, were picking out the ex-manager, Pep Guardiola, in the stand there, who was absolutely, at one stage, after the goal went in, he put his scarf over his mouth in a vain attempt to stifle his obvious celebration. Uh, Leo Messi, in about a second or third nutmeg, I think it was on James Milner, the camera pans to Guardiola, and he's just open mouthed, incredible stuff. Does he go to that many? Does he go? Does he still find time to go to a lot of these big Barcelona games and cheer on his old pal Messi? No, absolutely not. And that was why yesterday was so significant. That's why there was so much focus on him. It's the first time he's been back at the Camp Nou since 2012 when he left. He chose to go and sit in his season ticket alongside his dad on one side and Manolis Diaby on the other side, who was a former water polo player. I don't know enough about water polo, but Spaniards will tell you he's the best water polo player of all time. He was kind of Guardiola's... I don't know what you'd call him, kind of all-function man when he was at Barcelona and now and now he's doing the same job for him at, at Bayern Munich. So, so no, Guardiola doesn't normally do it. And I think the, the focus on him, in a way, was the most eloquent comment on Leo Messi. This is a guy that's won it all with Messi, that's seen Messi become the best player in the world, that's had a key part to play in Messi becoming the best player in the world. And yet even he was kind of making gestures as if to say... Bloody hell! Yeah, I I just love that you could see Guardiola's almost childlike admiration for exactly. kind of yeah. love of the game, and that was great to see. But the, we do, I mean, Messi. I think afterwards said something like, "Yeah, you know, uh, it seems I was a I was a disaster for the last couple of years, and now suddenly you think I'm great again." Well, you know, that says a lot about you. I think something along these lines. Yeah, the, yeah. it's it's true though that the the year or maybe coming on for two years, you could say the time that Cristiano Ronaldo's been able to beat him in this FIFA contest. The, the sort of relative slump that he was in was not just a mirage. It wasn't a, wasn't a case no, of fair. everyone. So, so what's changed? Is it, I mean, you know, Mascherano, I think, said something like, well, sometimes you just need a clip around the ear. But he does look um, physically strong and, and fit again, which certainly at the World Cup, in the latter stage of the World Cup, he, he didn't. I mean, there seems to be a physical underpinning to this recovery. Yeah, I'm, I'm personally of the belief that the last two years, if we hadn't seen Messi play the previous four years, we'd have said he was the best player in the world. I think what had happened is he set the bar so high that he would then, by not being unbelievably, ridiculously, stupidly impressive, we would think he was suddenly not very good at all. Um, and I think that's worth unpacking. And the idea, for example, that he had a terrible World Cup, I, I think is kind of baffling, really. Um, but it certainly is true that he hasn't been as good as as in previous years in 18 months or so, he didn't play as well as he had done. And I think that there, there is a sign that he's a, a little sharper, a little fresher, physically a little bit better than he was. So Charlie Rashak, of course, who's now a, a kind of directorial advisor at Barcelona, claimed that he'd been eating too much pizza for the last couple of years. Now, that seems so basic to me that it seems almost ridiculous that Messi would fall into that trap, particularly in a World Cup year in Brazil. I mean, surely all the focus was on that. And we've talked about this loads of times about how we felt that his poor performances with Barcelona were partly because he was focusing on the World Cup. So you would expect that to not... Is it, you feel like that's not possible for that to have been the reason. But he does look faster and quicker now. I think Barcelona have opened the pitch out a little bit more for him now. I think having Neymar and Suarez alongside him is, is enabling him to to play kind of almost his way a bit more because they're dragging defenders away from him a little bit. Although last night, actually, he seemed to be sucking defenders into him, Messi, and then kind of just running away from them. So it's hard to get your mind around. I think it's just kind of, it almost becomes self-perpetuating. Four or five good games then kind of build into a momentum in which he gets better and better, more and more confident, fitter and fitter, and suddenly looks as good or possibly even better than he ever has before. So just lastly, Clasico is on this Sunday. Uh, the great cliche about derbies in all sports really is that the form line doesn't matter at all, that the game takes on a life of its own. Uh, I suppose Real Madrid will be hoping that's the case. 
Yeah, I mean, it's demonstrably not true, of course, that the, the, form, the form does matter. It does matter how the two teams are playing, but that doesn't mean that the team that's playing slightly less well, it's impossible that they win, not least when you're talking about these two sides who have brilliant players in them. Um, because, you know, we've seen many times, both, both of them, I think particularly with Real Madrid because of the way they play on the counter-attack, they don't necessarily need to control and dominate a game. They don't necessarily need to play brilliantly, fluidly to create a lot of chances because it only takes, and we've seen it before, it only takes one kind of, basically aimless punt up the pitch and Ronaldo to, to, to get on a run with space in front of him and it will cause Barcelona problems. So I think it is difficult to call, but, but certainly at the moment in terms of the way they're playing, uh, Barcelona are in better form than Real Madrid. But I, said, I think there's still one or two doubts about Barcelona. I think last night they were made to suffer perhaps a little bit more than they would have expected when, when City came out. And the, the space in the middle of midfield is still there, that sense of them not controlling games like they once did. And for example, the Guardiola team, if it was defined by its central midfielders and the fact that basically everyone on the pitch was central midfielder this team I think is much more defined now by the front three and of course in particular by Messi alright Sid enjoy that one thanks a million my pleasure who is that water polo assistant to Pep Guardiola Manius Yart he's the little Messi of water polo I say that because he's small I think he he comes across as quite an important figure in that Guardiola book that was written last year yeah, he's he's uh, Guardiola's assistant, basically. Um, he's not, a, but he's not a football guy. He's a water polo. Water polo, yeah. He's he's the greatest water polo player in Spanish history. Um, supposedly considered the one of the two. He's like the Maradona water polo player, and there's like there's a Pele water polo player. His name I don't know because yeah, you know. Um, but he's uh, five foot eight, which is quite unusual in water polo, where the thing is to be huge. Mm. You know, um, and. Uh, he comes up a few times in the book. Um, I'm going to say if he was five foot eight as a water polo player and became the best in the world, he was. I'm going to use a euphemism, euphemism Ken, based mm. on my limited knowledge of that sport. I would say he was tough cookie. A tough cookie, Ken. I'd say he yeah, was. Yeah, I'd say he was tenacious. That's that that that's the one I was reaching for. Yeah, he was like one of those face hugger things from Alien. In God terms knows of what tenacity. he was doing under there. Um, now he, uh, I remember that one bit. I remember from the book is is. Uh, Guardiola's penalty pep talk um, where Bayern Munich I think it's Chelsea they're playing Chelsea you know have suddenly more penalties than they know what to do with <laughs> uh, and and turns out can't actually score them Bayern Munich beat Chelsea but uh, n- not until uh, Pep has given them a team talk saying the greatest penalty expert in the world is standing right here among us it's Manny Estiarte this man took hundreds of penalties in his career. And he never missed one. I don't know if he says he never missed one. I'm sure he missed one or two. But he said there's two, the two most important things to checking a penalty. Manny is the greatest penalty expert in the world and he knows. One, and I've bounce it off the water. Bounce it off the water. There are two things which Manny is starting. One of them is pick where you're going to put the penalty first before you go up to take it. Know where you're going to put it. Fairly basic, but sound. Number two, keep telling yourself that you're going to score. Again, just keep telling yourself that you're going to score. That's what you got to do. That's pretty much what Owen Hargreaves said, actually, when he contributed to a Radio 5 Live piece about penalty taking Mm. before the last World Cup. Uh, That was pretty much it. It's literally just the fact he's limited to just stick to what you're going to do. And he says, I know that sounds simple, but a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. Literally, you decide, wait, it doesn't matter what the goalkeeper does, you're sticking it in that top corner. Yeah. Uh, he scored a great one, wasn't it, in the Champions, <laughs> Champions League, League final. final yeah. Just he rifled was, one in there. He was always good at penalty. I think he, he was one of the England players who managed to score in the World Cup against Portugal as well in the penalty shootout. Mm. Not, uh, Stephen Gerrard had the other approach in that, which was to, to continually change his mind. nervous breakdown on the way from between. The, actually, start worrying about the penalty he was going to have to take from about the 85th minute of the match on. And by the time he'd uh, got to the point where he had to walk down to take the penalty, he was literally on the verge of having nervous breakdown. No penalties for Messi this week, so we didn't see the one weakness in his game. Uh, thanks very much for tuning in to the Leo Messi football podcast today. Have a listen to our all sports show which uh, we have out as well. It's going to include a look ahead to Ireland's attempts to win a second Six Nations title in a row. All our latest news is on the website, secondcaptains.com. Thanks very much, Kent. Thank you too, Owen. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.